Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Hey guys, welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. Hope you're doing well. This is a solo episode. There's no panel discussion this this episode. Um, I, I interviewed Paddy Ashdown. Must have been about six weeks ago now. It was a, a cracking interview. Very uh, honest, very open conversation about the result of the general election and where the Liberal Democrats um, are now as a party. So it's a little bit old. It's about six weeks old. But we get right down to it, and Paddy's very open and honest. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. But before we get on to it, um, yeah, so it's a free show we got going on here, guys. Um, as you know, this is I, I'm a I'm a gardener full time. That's what I do as a job. So this is a, a project, it's a bit of fun, a hobby, and yeah, it, it's going to really help if you can um, not necessarily sponsor the show. I don't want to ask for your money, but for you to share an episode would be like the equivalent of um, some kind of gift towards the show for all the hard work we put in for you. So if you can share the episodes uh, or write a review on iTunes, that would be absolutely fundamentally fantastic. And and we obviously really appreciate anything you can do to spread the word. And uh, you can do that obviously by sharing us on Facebook to friends uh, on your time on your time wall and stuff so that that would be absolutely amazing you can find us on Facebook just by typing in the Limehouse podcast you can find us on Twitter you can follow us on Twitter and our um, love handle is at Limehouse pod and the, these things really do go a long way you know you know because like I don't want to be the person who sets up a website where you have to end up you know you have to pay like 50p to download an episode or or we try and get you involved by going here look here's 30% of an interview I did and if you go to the website you can have the full interview for two pounds I, I I mean there are, there are people that do that but I'm not one of those kind of people so um, without any further ado here is my chat with Paddy Ashdown I really hope you enjoy it Take care, and I'll see you on the other side. Yes. So the last time we spoke, we were um, you you were just about to start writing your book, your new book. Uh-huh. How's it going? The research and what happened? Well, I'm probably fifty thousand words into it now. Okay. It's going to be a big book. It's going to be one hundred and fifty thousand. I think it may even be more because um, it's just a huge topic. Um, yeah. And so the research is eighty percent done. And I've got enough there to be able to make the framework of the book. And then I come back in and add stuff later as I discover it. Wowzers. And are you, are you able to give us some uh, sneak peeks at all? What, 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 what have you enjoyed writing the most? What, what, what parts? I mean, it's only 50,000 in, but I mean, only 50. That's, that's quite a few. Um, I really am fascinated by the little facts that people ignore or sometimes choose to ignore because they don't conform to the um, conventional view of history. And this is a huge fact that people have deliberately ignored. I think um, it isn't that the facts aren't known um, of the German resistance to Hitler. Um, They are 
quite well known. A series of books published after the war gave bits of it. And of course we know um, about the great July the 20th bomb plot, von Stauffenberg and all that. But what was deliberately suppressed after the war, or at least not deliberately, probably just suppressed, because it was not congenial for the West, who had insisted on the complete erasing of Germany mm. and rebuilding, um, to ever acknowledge that there had been good Germans. Yeah. Um, and, um, and indeed, the um, indeed the it was almost uh, indeed the, the lie that was put about, which was the German opposition really only began when defeat was inevitable. It's not true. They began even before Hitler was. Um, Chancellor. Yeah. Um, well, uh, very shortly after he became Chancellor, and they had struggled against this evil as they saw it um, for much longer than we had, for yeah. ten years before they were finally all terribly killed. Um, so, and it, it was then very inconvenient in Germany for this information to come to light, because of course what they had done, these people, they had betrayed their country. and in passing military secrets to the West because they didn't want um, to let Hitler win the war. They believed it would be a catastrophe for Germany if he fought the war, but it had been an even worse catastrophe for the whole of mankind if he won it. Yeah. So bringing all this out, the extraordinary story, and linking it together is, I think, very fascinating and, and quite satisfying. Um, the other thing which... So, I mean, that you, you are... I don't think I've discovered much new, a bit. Um, but by making these connections, you're putting together a story which is partly history, but also partly um, a comment on today. Because the Germany that we now see emerging, yeah. probably the greatest defender of democracy and liberal values, was the Germany for which these people gave their lives by yes. fighting Hitler. And it also takes you into a second issue, which has always fascinated me, which is what is the true nature of betrayal? Um, I once remember meeting, meeting uh, John Le Carre, who I know quite well, um, and I remember talking to him and he said, you need to realise that my entire time in MI6 was spent um, in betrayal, because when I was there, the dominant features of my life were Philby and Blake, the two great betrayers. Everything was about betrayal. That's why my books are all about betrayal. Okay. Well, I know a bit of that since I've been in that kind of business. And um, although I've never suffered from betrayal, betrayal is the stuff of which most espionage in one form or another is made. Mm. Um, and therefore, I'm always fascinated by betrayal. So the question that I'm wrestling with is this really extraordinary question, which is, if you betray the state that you happen to live in, um, together with all its appurtenances and its oaths, are you really betraying um, if indeed what you're doing is standing up for the true nature of that country, which is being sublimated by yeah. the government of the yeah. time? So, so what is betrayal? Is it a betrayal of the government, yeah. or is it a betrayal of the nation's true nature? Patriotism, and, defined, yeah, defined patriotism. Well, it's, it's yeah, it is. It's, it is patriotism, yeah. but what these people were said basically was we have to act because the true Germany to which we are loyal is not the journey of Adolf Hitler and Heinrich Himmler 
but actually the Germany of Schubert and Schiller and Goethe and, and Beethoven. Okay, and, yeah, so, yeah. and so that's the Germany that's now emerging. So yeah. f- the interesting thing for me and what's giving me a good deal of sort of thought and, 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 and interest is, is, um, is, is it not an extraordinary irony that these people completely unrecognized gave their lives for the very values which now Germany is rediscovering and contributing to the West? No, no, absolutely. That's the important thing. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it is funny though, the word betrayal, because I think, you know, and in the next few days when Parliament goes away, we go on holiday, we will get a rest from politics. The real, perhaps, betrayal begins, but in the Tory party. Oh, perhaps. good attempt to bring it back on the politics. But well one, done, you know, I mean, one has to, Paddy, one has yeah, to, yeah. you know. Yeah, but look, I mean, look, let me hey, give you... We can carry on talking about Himmler if you like, I don't no, mind. No, 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 I mean, you want to hear about the book, so I'm giving you about the book. Yeah. We don't have to do that. Um, look, uh, for me, um, the greatest political um, quality probably goes human quality is courage um, but the second greatest is loyalty and um, by the way extremely important in British politics because British politics is a team game not an American politics you can be president if you're you know somebody um, remarkably um, good by yourself but Britain's a team game and loyalty therefore is I think the greatest the second greatest of all political virtues and if you look at my career, you know, I've always thought that loyalty, I rated loyalty very highly. Yeah. Um, and you saw it when I was trying to support Nick Clegg in the difficult times of his leadership. I've always regarded it as my job as the leader um, to support the person who currently does my job, at least in public, even if I don't, even I tell the truth in private to them. Um, and so loyalty is important, but it's not loyalty with, um, you know, without limit because you have to be prepared to be disloyal at time to time but the Tories yeah. are the Tories are I mean you know in comparison to what's going on in the cabinet at present ferrets in a sack are 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 as a sort of Puritan prayer meeting this yeah. is outrageous and it has literally destroyed the effectiveness of government it has undermined the prime minister these guys are exercising their egos and their ambitions in the most discreditable way and frankly, any single one of them, I think, is not fit to be the next prime minister because of the way that they've behaved. Maybe that maybe that's the reason we won't see. Uh, I mean, an effective campaign, leadership campaign, launched against Theresa May because there's no real sort of candidate to step in in place. Oh, I think if they could get their act together and decide on a coronation and they could come to an agreement, she'd be gone in a heartbeat. And David Davis probably about. Um, well, no, who knows? Yeah. Um, but if they could come to some kind of agreement, she'd be gone in a heartbeat. No, she's kept yeah. in. She's kept this this sort of miserable half life, wounded as she is, um, completely without authority, completely without direction, um, entirely by one single fact, and that is the Tories know that if she goes, there would be a, a bloodbath uh, yeah. of a civil war, and that would lead to to um, probably to Corbyn as prime minister. But you know. I mean, there is a. I have a sort of storm signal. Whenever members of a political party say amongst themselves, you know, I don't mind losing the next election provided we gain control of the party, uh, that is the beginning of the end for a political party. I mean, not the end, total end, but that's the beginning of a catastrophic collapse in the political party. I remember hearing that in our party, mm. way back in the days of SDP and the, and the Libs. 
Um, I remember hearing it in Labour. You know, we don't care providing we gain control. I mean, in a sense, Corbyn's been elected on that basis. And I'm now hearing Tories saying, we actually don't mind. Maybe a short spell of Corbyn would be a good idea, because then <laughs> yeah. we'll all come to our senses and we can gain control of the Conservative Party. So I think, I think this is as near to a terminal illness as you can you can get, and I can't see any way out of it. Mm. A coronation, I think, would is it probably impossible. Yeah. Uh, and I think there would be a howl of rage from the people of Britain that for the second time now we have a Prime Minister who has not been elected um, and not even been elected by, by an election in the Tory party for yes, God's sake. Yeah. Um, so I think anybody who has that authority will not have authority. Uh, and I secondly think that you know this is a this and this is a, the beginnings of a civil war to which I can see no end, um, except but, in doing terrible damage to the Tory party. Did you? I mean, because I know when the referendum was being fought, um, that you know it, it was stat statistics galore and and uh, on the Remain side and what have you. But was there? I mean, I maybe I'm just really forgetful. But was there ever a Co coherent argument to what the fallout of this referendum would be a general election and then a general election and then a, a Tory party that would tear itself apart. And oh, I think you know, many of us have known for a very long yeah. time and that this was the infection that Thatcher planted in the Tory party is anti Europeanism. If you look back in Tory history, it has precise parallels with the, um, the Corn Law, okay, which yeah. uh, and also with the end of imperial preference. And notice. All of those three were issues about internationalism and trade. Yeah. And both of those other ones broke the Tory party. Um, I mean, broke it for a generation. Uh, and I think this has the same. And we've all known that this schism was there under the surface. It's been held together with prime, by prime ministers with the authority to keep, one, keep both sides in check. Yeah. And it's been held together because, you know... Um, because it wasn't congenial to have the board out into the open. I'm very clear that Mrs May's determination to go for the hard Brexit was not because she believed in it, because she'd done the calculation in her own party and agreed that that was the largest element, she'd go with that. And that was the reason she didn't want any debate. Yeah. That's why the reason she didn't want Parliament to debate this until she was forced to do so by the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, because she knew as soon as the debate was opened, the split would become obvious. Yeah. And now, having brought herself to a position where she's lost even the majority in the House of Commons, that yeah. debate is raging and can't be stopped. So, you know, were it not for the fact that we aren't exactly in a brilliant position as Lib Dems, I think a great deal of schadenfreude would be being expressed about the sad position, yeah. in inverted commas, yeah. of the Tory party. Well, no, it's just, it's extraordinary. I mean, I... I I, don't really I think know. we've known that was there for a long time. Yeah, we I have mean, known that yeah. sooner or later, in the right conditions, that would emerge. So we have watched this building up, and I'm not surprised it's coming. I'm not even surprised at the virulence of it. Hmm. I'm quite, I'm quite, I find it slightly delicious <laughs> that uh, Mrs. May's hubris in leading to an election has, has been the instrument to expose all this. So what, I'm glad it's being exposed. General election, the, the, when the, um, the result, general election night rather, um, when the result came in, the, um, uh, the 10, 10 p.m., um, what's it called? Uh, exit poll. Exit poll. What was your immediate feeling? Well, I was sort of, I, I was, I knew something strange was happening in the 2015 election. I had a sense that the opinion polls had got it wrong. I knew we were going to lose the 
referendum from about four weeks out and warned people that I thought that was the case. I didn't see this one coming, I must confess. I was predicting a majority of 40, 50, maybe even 60. Mm -hmm. So I was surprised. Um, but in a strange way, delighted. You know, it, just, it is the ultimate truth. Uh, it's the ultimate proof, not the ultimate, but it's a, it's a significant proof of the old truth that it's actually hubris that kills leaders more than anything else. And it was hubris that caused that, it caused that election. An outstanding amount of hubris, unbelievable. Well, history may see it. I mean, yeah, maybe so, maybe so. But anyway, it was hubris. I mean, yeah. hubris, is the, hubris is the killer. Hubris is the thing where you believe you're infallible. But, yeah. Um, I think they've really shone through and it's given us a chance, um, us, oh. the public, to really see through the, 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 the inner workings of that Tory machine. Well, it isn't just that. Um, it has pushed politics, I think, really. I mean, this is, I think, the hopeful thing for us Lib Dems. It's pushed politics into a position where, I mean, my, my gut feeling um, is that it can't go on like this. No. I mean, not just the Tory party, the Labour party as well, that Britain is falsely locked into this Procrustean bed of um, the Tories on one side and Labour on the other. Yeah. And I just think that you know, British politics has to change now. Uh, it cannot be sustained on this extraordinary, bizarre um, version of politics as Game of Thrones. Uh, I mean, it just can't be. It, there has to be now um, some big change that makes sense of the structure of British politics. And yeah. insofar as I've been you know, working for that for 30 years, I'm delighted that moment is now coming. One yeah. thing I'm clear about, I don't know who wins this false battle between the Tories and Labour. I do know that British politics is unsustainable in its present shape and has to begin, has to change. And how, I mean, you, you were on the Today programme not so long ago saying about uh, the coming together, that the Lib Dems need to be uh, a rallying point for the progressives. Well, it's always been my view and is what I suggested to Tim as the strategy. But unfortunately, it wasn't the strategy that we followed, and I think we paid a price for that, as indeed I said we would. Um, so, uh, yeah. Do you, do you want to um, elaborate on that point a bit Not more? Not much. No? <laughs> I mean, I will elaborate on this point, that I think, I mean, here's the thing Lib Dems must do now, however much we take joy and, um, and satisfaction out of the wreckage that is the Tory party, the reality is that we're in a very bad position indeed. The centre has never been un has never been more vacant. Um, it has been vacated by Labour and the Tory Party, who have moved away to the wings. The centre has never been more angry. The centre yeah. has never been more voiceless, and yet we are not capturing that vote. We are actually going down. Yeah. Um, and that's a very bad position to be in. Liberal Democrats ought to sit down with some seriousness now and say, look, hang on. In circumstances which are which we which should be presenting us with the best opportunity we have ever had, we're not taking advantage of it. Why? And the answer is because I think, um, although we are the right place for people to vote for and join, if you believe in all those liberal views, the reality is we're too small in most people's eyes to matter. And I think the big the big role now is to for all of us to act to try and bring those forces that can represent the moderate liberal view in Britain together. Uh, and I don't believe necessarily that it will all be done either with any particular political party or within political parties. The job is to try and bring the wider group of people in our country who feel that and to give them a political voice. Yeah. And I don't think we can do that alone. So I, I do believe, you know, you've seen an example of what can be done with Macron and En Marche. I do believe that the historic role for the Liberal Democrats is and has been for some time not to be tribal 
um, and to be satisfied just with our victories, but to be a gathering point for all of those voices beyond uh, beyond our party who exist yeah. in other parties and in the public at large. I mean, that's an it's a it's an interesting point. It's quite broad. I mean, it's sort of something that I was. I've all, whenever I <clears throat> talk to any progressives, centre, left or left, they're all, you know, I always do bring up that question. How can we unite? We've got so many things that bind us together, you know, we're, and, and, but fundamentally how? It's, it's, it's such an easy thing to say, you know, we, we need to be a rallying point for progressives, but my God, you know, a lot of the young voters see Labour as a progressive party. Well, they've been in fooled action. into seeing that, yeah. but what they don't realise is that they're supporting Labour, they're supporting a party that's against Europe. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's, and, and the scales will fall from their eyes on that. I mean, there will be a moment when young voters voting for Corbyn and realising, as they will in the debates in the House of Commons, when he votes against joining the single market, that actually they subscribe themselves to a party that is against Europe, yeah. you will find that. Now, what are we going to do about that? Are we going to reach out to them as well? Are we going to be on our toes today? Let me take you back. Look, if you look at British politics, if you look at any politics, it begins not with political parties, but with people's movements. And if you look at the Liberal Party, it sprang out of the people's movement the Manchester um, Free Trade Hall and the Great Reform Act. That's what began, that's what laid the foundation. Yeah. If you look at the Labour Party, it started off with a people's movement, a people's movement about the trade union and labour, which became a political party. Now, the difficulties for a modern political party, with the singular and peculiar exception of Corbyn Easter Labour, for the moment, they have lost touch with their people's movements. And the problem is that if you lose touch, the connection between the political party and the people's movement, the people's will create their own political parties. And so they create UKIP or they take over others. They take over Corbyn's party or they take over mm. the Republican party with Trump. Um, and our problem is we have lost touch with our, with our people's movement. We in the centre. Yes, so yeah. we have to go back to the people's <clears throat> movement, it seems to me, to, yeah. to draw sustenance from that. We have to dig, dig our taproots into that to mm. reconnect the party with the people's movements. Now, we have so far failed to do that, I'm afraid. Mm. We will not do that by saying, here we are in our little tiny tribal huddle, uh, you know, an, an exclusive chapel of, of people who are pure liberals and we reject all others. We won't do it in that, in that form. So we have no yeah. other strategy, it seems to me. Not easy to do, but no other strategy but to begin to take a much more holistic um, approach to our politics than we are at present. So that, that's sort of like, uh, along the lines of uh, more united, better for Britain, you see, better I, for Britain. Well, um, yeah, I think more united is closer to it. But look, here's a, here's a thought for you. Do I say, therefore, that you must leave your party to, in order to join ours? No. I mean, some may, some may not. Do I say that in order for you to have an effect, you must join the Liberal Democrats? Well, I'd like them to join the Liberal Democrats very much. But, it, you know, the truth about More United is it's proved there are lots of people who want to make a difference for the things we believe in, but don't want to do it through a political party. We have to find a way to reach out to this. How yeah. do you do that? I think the best way to do it, you know, you need to stop thinking about a, an event and think, start thinking about a process. We will not do it by some sort of deus ex cathedra that somebody stands up and said, this is the new SDP, follow me. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen like that. It might do, but I doubt it. I think it much more likely to happen saying, here are five basic principles. Six, seven, five, three, two, you choose the number upon which we believe our future should be founded. And I suspect if you laid them down 
as more united has but i'm not saying they're perfect if you laid them down and said okay guys everybody who believes this let's join together to fight for it you'd get a proper response yeah and that's exactly what macron's done and remember just look at what macron's done a number of things first of all he didn't require people to join to leave their political parties secondly he said he wasn't forming a political party thirdly in creating what he created he completely bypassed the other two old stru party structures and made them look like dinosaurs are you saying that can only happen in france it's ridiculous it can yeah. happen here too could happen tomorrow if only we start the process yeah i think it's more sort of like intrinsic isn't it so it's more in their their political blood i think well in france but yeah perhaps i know. don't think so at all no, no i mean france has been as as deeply sort of sclerotic in its politics okay. as we have been yeah okay not binary there have been more parties around um but no um macron simply said look if you can have a people's movement for something ugly like France now, uh, like uh, the National Front. Why can't we? Have Why can't option? wait for something yeah. good? And yeah. that's a good question for ask ourselves too. Okay, maybe I'm just still hung up on Napoleon and all that kind of. Well, um, Napoleon is slightly, you know, but I don't yeah. think France is too Napoleonic. No, <laughs> probably no. Gaullist a bit. But but um, it is obviously a different political system. But what is clear is the proposition that says we can only have people's movements about ugly things. We can never be clever enough to create a people's movement about the things we believe in. Yeah. Seems to me to be both pessimistic and wrong. So under Vince Cable, which is essentially going to be the leader, who <coughs> will be the leader of the Liberal Democrats, is he? We're talking about you know leadership, vision, and, and what have you. You obviously probably know Vince really quite well. I should imagine. Um, what can we expect from Vince Cable, William? I'm not going there. Thank <laughs> right, you for so asking me. Remember when I when I stood down as leader of the party, you won't remember, but I said that my motto and creed as an ex-leader would be the, the what was stuck up on the wheelhouse of the Mississippi steamboats, according to uh, Mark Twain. There's a big notice stuck up on the wheelhouse wall which said, "Don't speak to the captain. Don't spit on the floor." Okay. And that's my that's my motto. My job is to support and and and. Um, and assist um, yeah. all those who then do the job that I did for 11 years. Uh, and if they want my opinion, I'll give it to them in private, but I won't do so in public. And, I mean, have you, do, you, do you get that? Do, you, do, do people within the party, Paddy, phone call, let's, let's call Paddy? Do you mean, no, they're leaders. Um, yeah, well, leaders leader. or, do, do, do our leaders do so? Some do, some don't. Yeah, but I That's mean, up to them. The workings of the Liberal Democrats, <coughs> I mean, if I were in a position of any influence within the Lib Dems, I'll be like, right, you know, where's Paddy Ashdown? I want to talk to, to this guy. Well, about some people come and talk to me, you. some others don't, but, yeah. but I mean, you know, that, and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted when they do, but the dialogue that I have with the trade union of ex-leaders, yeah. <coughs> the Liberal Party, Liberal Democrats, and the, the present leader is, is something which I prefer to keep yeah. quiet. <coughs> I will, however, say one thing to you and I will be trying to pursue this, making the point of the party conference. We have to do something radical now. Yeah. And the truth is that I said, as I said <coughs> in that Today programme, and published a paper for the federal executive, um, which said um, political parties are dying. Um, they're stuck in the, in the structure of the 1870s. They're dying, and if we have to be pretty careful, though, not, we're not one of the first casualties ourselves. The truth is that we should be um, moving away from the old-style political party, vertically hierarchical, vertically structured, <coughs> festooned with committees, demand that you be a total obsessive in order to be part of it, 
<coughs> instead of um, using instead of politics being one of the sort of multifaceted activities that you do along with everything else, we ought to be now turning the Liberal Democrats into, as near as we can, an internet-based movement, which is um, wide-spectrum, low cost of uh, engagement, uh, much more constant engagement, something much more like Macron's En Marche, something much more like Cinque Stelle, something much more like More United. That is the shape yeah. of the new political party. And yeah. we've got to have the courage, it seems to me, to be much more radical than we're currently thinking about. Yeah. Have you seen the paper that I produced on this? I have not, no. Well, I mean, I'm trying to persuade the party to do this, um, and, um, and uh, I shall certainly pursue it at conference. Yeah. Um, no, it'd be good. It'd be good to see um, what happens at conference. I can't go through the whole thing, but um, so you're you're not only writing a book, but you've you've written a, a paper as well. Listen, I'm always writing. <laughs> Don't know how you do it. Right, William Porteous, and you want to see a copy of this paper? I'll send it to you, which I sent to the to the. Um, Federal Executive saying this is what I think should happen, um, and um, I then put it up on the on my website. Let me have a look. Link Dems, uh, M N O P M O Post 2017, um, and I shall. I've talked to um, various Lib Dem, and I think this is the the way the party should go. So there you are. Yeah. Okay. Are you able to give a rough outline now, or what do you mean of the paper? Yeah. Well, you can have a look at it, but um, I, I can very easily just, it, do, it doesn't say, you know, it doesn't take very long. Um, it's only half a sheet of full scope. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I, I find sort of, what do I do, what do I, what do I say to someone who sort of says we should be broadly, well not broadly, but more uh, involved on the internet side of things. No, that's right. What, I mean, I... Okay. I suppose I'm 35 years old. Maybe that's uh, something that I. <laughs> well, I've sent you a copy. Here's Ashton's second rule for the Internet age. If you see a business model that takes no account of the new technology, you see a business model which is failing. This applies to most new newspapers, some old-fashioned businesses, and nearly all political parties. Conventional political parties remain immovably stuck in the 1870s. They are vertical hierarchies when the paradigm structure of our time is the network. They are high overhead, narrow membership, high cost of entry, limited participation organisations, while successful social and commercial structures are based on a low overhead, mass membership, low or no cost of entry, and instant participation models. They are festooned with lumbering committees and a tangle of elections which pretend to provide accountability and transparency but actually obscure both, when direct instant democratic participation is the rule for most successful modern civil society movements and political structures. Think Cinque Stelle, Momentum, More United and En Marche. In order to play a full role a part in today's conventional political party requires its members to be obsessives, prepared to spend evenings in damp village halls and bright September days where they could be on the beach, in stuffy conclaves at faded seaside resorts, passing obscure amendments to policies no one will ever hear of again. But most ordinary people nowadays conduct their internet lives not through consuming regular, singular obsessions, but through multiple daily transactions, which they mix with what they believe in, uh, with what, when, in which they mix what they believe in with earning a living and having fun. Political parties and institutions are dying, except those who have in some form or another adopted the internet and their internal structures. This is one of the reasons why our politics seems so bewildering and senseless to ordinary people and voters. 
Our party is in an extremely hazardous condition. Unless we do something radical and different soon, our old members will become disheartened and our new members will fade away. Here's my proposition. The party board should commission a study which should report in short order to investigate whether and if so how and in what time frame the Lib Dems can be converted into a modern internet-based political organisation, LibDems.org, structured around a low overhead, low cost of entry mass movement model in which a one-person, one-vote internet-enabled democracy is the normal way of taking all our key decisions. So there you are. I've, re- I've read that last part. I think you. I, I think I, uh, from an uh, article... Possibly. From the Today programme, yeah. I mentioned, but um, I don't think. I mean, that's it's not necessarily that crazy and bold, is it? No, it just seems just no, like but, the but most. Yeah. No, but the point about the point about we the, just need to do it. I well, the point about bureaucracies, William, is that bureaucracies always the rule of bureaucracy. They spend more, more time protecting their own basis than they do thinking about new things, and I'm afraid that's true of our party too. You know, yeah. it's got it has too much of a vested interest in what it's already doing to want to change it to something more radical and frightening. Yeah. No, I mean, I obviously, I... I, I mean, it's funny because I, I mean, I've been in the party one year. I don't know the inner workings of the party. If, you know, I go and have a chat with Lynn Featherstone. In fact, we bumped into one another outside the House of Lords last week, which was quite funny, or a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I, I just take everything at face value. I just sort of go, oh, Lynn did this, Lynn did that. She's a lovely <coughs> person. She is a lovely person. But there are certain people that have would have difference of opinion on on what she did or what Nick Clegg did or what blooming I don't know Charles Kennedy did yeah I'm not privy to those inner workings of the machination so it's sort of hard to know when we talk about strategizing where the party should go exactly the precise questions I can ask you um, that don't put you in a bad position in an awkward spot and also don't make me sound like a complete fool so it's sort of hard I would like to see a more um, modern, shiny approach to the Lib Dems, um, but I don't know if there's the. T- that I'm, so, I'm presuming there's a talent pool there, but currently the 12 MPs we have. Oh, I think our um, MPs are now better than we've. I think the, the cohort of MPs is one of the best we've had in recent times. Um, so I don't think the problem's there. No, I think the party has to decide whether it's going to be radical or not. Radical. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and the truth is that the sadness of our party may be is that we were radical insurgents for a hundred years um, and then we got elected into government and at the very moment when radicalism and insurgency became popular, look at it in UKIP and look at it in, um, we decided to be conventional rather than, and, and we have to now return to our roots, which is as a radical insurgent party and behaving in, you know, in different ways and unconventional ways, not least in our internal structures. Yeah, no, radical, radical ways. It's quite exciting. Um, yeah, but that's what we were. That's what brought me to the party. Well, it was immensely exciting when Joe Grimman stood up and said, what we need is much less centralised government. We have to devolve power. What we need is an electoral reform system that gives the... What we need is uh, is is an internationalist approach to politics because only on the international... So that's what we were. We were a bunch of... We were an insurgent party, a yeah. radical insurgent party, and we've now become 
probably one of the most conventional parties in British politics. Yeah. And that's why if you're young and you're looking for something radical, you foolishly go to see Corbyn rather than us. Yeah, and I mean, okay, yeah, and the decay of social care, the decay of uh, social housing we've seen with Grenfell, and, and it's highlighted a huge problem that's always been there, but mm. we've been happy to turn our backs on it to a degree. I say we, not all, um, some, with power. Do the Lib Dems have to be radical enough to say, look, Brexit's here, but we've got massive social problems as well? No, I think we have to be radical and say, just because the, the nations voted for Brexit doesn't mean to say we have to agree with them. Yeah, well, yeah, no, absolutely. But I mean, sorry, sorry I think what my point is, is that Brexit seems to overshadow everything. And well, so, it does. I mean, the problem is if you go through Brexit, you're going to have no money. I mean, I, that is not an excuse for not being radical. Yeah. But um, the, <coughs> uh, the fact that... Uh, <coughs> forgive me, I seem to have... Um, a tickle, a tickle in the throat. The, fa the fact that, um, you know, Brexit overshadows things should not stop you being radical on other issues. But the bottom line is, if you go, if you go down the Brexit route, you're going to have no money left for anything else. That's yeah. the difficulty. But I think we can be radical in much different ways. I mean, here's a proposition for you that I can't understand why we won't follow. Um, instead of piling up larger and larger amounts of student debt for tertiary education, why don't we do the sensible thing and convert most of tertiary education to distance learning? let's say 60% of it, so that you could actually do what, by the way, we are exporting for everybody else in the world to do. Instead of sending students to ivy-covered universities that have remained the same since medieval times, why yeah. don't we use the internet to deliver, as we could, about 60% of that curriculum um, down the line to people um, where they happen to be? And you then build a basis for an um, a distance learning system in Britain that can be used as the basis for adult education as well. Instead of which we remain completely locked in the idea, how do we get students to pay their loans and how do we get them to pay their fees, etc. Yeah, yeah. So we are just not being, we used to be a, a party that was a ferment of new ideas. Here's another. Um, we are worried about the power of Google, Amazon, um, and the internet. We're also worried about the possibility of using this to intrude on our lives. Why do we not establish a, um, a rule that says that if someone wants to use your personal data when you go shopping to make them squillions of money without asking you, they can't. Yeah. Um, you, we will make it a rule, a European rule perhaps, that says, um, if, dear Mr. Amazon, if you want to use my personal information to make yourself lots of money, you have to A, get my permission, and B, I have to share in the profits. Yeah. I would completely alter the relationship with these people. You know, the great event that stimulated the democratic revolution was the ownership of property. Well, there's a piece of property that we ought to have, which belongs to us, but is being, it is being manipulated and exploited um, by vast corporations for huge sums of money. Yeah. And it means our personal data, how I behave. And I would want to make a rule which said that would completely alter the relationship between the large corporations, internet-based corporations, and the individual. Hugely empower the individual. And we mm. get a show, dear Mr. Google, I will use your system, but in order for you to use the money, the, the information I give you about my patterns of shopping, you have to ask me. Yeah. And by the way, I'm going to share in the profits as well. Please yeah. return some of it to me. Yeah. Right, you completely alter. Are we doing that? Absolutely not. No. I've suggested this to the party, um, both of those two propositions to the party, nearly 10 years ago, and still we're not doing it. No. 
it's the time and the place, is it? It's the no, going with no, the tide, is it's it? The, it's the attitude that we think, unfortunately, I think in our party, we think that we are a political party that gets elected by producing more focuses through doors. And, and, and sadly, we're not. No. We are a political party that exists on its ideas. The function, if you want to be a machine in politics, you can join the Tories or Labour. Yeah. The great thing that the Liberals have always done, the Liberal Democrats have always done, have been ahead in some of these thinking that we've done. Where are we ahead now? I can't see anywhere. Yeah. Where? I mean, we're, you know, all of that ferment of mm. ideas, radical thoughts, debate about really dangerous ideas that I loved when I joined the party and I joined the <coughs> the party for it, sorry. <coughs> right. All of that's gone. Yeah. Where is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that seems to me to, to be when we last chatted six months ago. It seems like you seem more, if I, you know, if I'm honest, you a little bit more downcast about the party as a whole, perhaps. Well, look, you cannot come through an election in which the centre ground where we ought to live, the progressive liberal centre has been more up for grabs than the previous one, and we go backwards in the poll. Yeah. We don't get more votes, we get less. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we're not sitting down and saying, hang on guys, there's something wrong here, I think we bloody well ought to be. Yeah. If you are, you know, sort of complacent and say, well, it's all okay, really, because we'll bounce back, well, then I think you're just, you know, this is not where we should be. Yeah. This was, the last election ought to have been a serious wake-up call for our party. We don't have a strategy that makes sense, um, and we don't, and we have lost the idea of radicalism and insurgency. And we used to be a genuine forum for the debate of radical new ideas. We are no longer either of those things, hmm. any of those things. Yeah, that's a pretty serious state of affairs to be in, in my yeah. view. No, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And by I'm the way, we've had a huge number of people who have joined us um, in enthusiasm. I don't know how they're feeling at the moment, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them aren't feeling a bit sort of, well, what do I do this for? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the wind's been taken out of our sails because of the general election and the first few days that um, that Tim was unfortunately thrown into the, um, the gay sex saga, which was massively unfortunate. And um, well, look, I'm not going to go back to that because I don't no, want to go back, but fine. I think the, the really important thing is that we have to have a very, very cold-eyed look at where we are at the moment, and we ought not to be hiding behind, you know, um, comfortable words at this stage. We ought to say, hang on, guys, um, in these circumstances, if we're not doing better than 7.4%, we're actually less votes than we did last time, should we not be looking at ourselves a little bit more critically than perhaps we are? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. Everybody's 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 so, I hope you enjoyed that. I, I really, I, I got in, I got into it. I, I, I did in a good, big, big, big way. Gotta love Paddy. Paddy's a man. He's he's been there. He's done it. He's got the he's got the T-shirt. So many different T-shirts that man must have, all with the same font and wording. Experience, level-headed sense, and those kind of words, but in a different order. Listen to him. He's gonna be around for the foreseeable future, making the same points over and over again, and they're all completely relevant. And they're all completely right. All bow to Paddy Ashdown. On another note, it's time to go. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Please 
keep sharing iTunes SoundCloud get on the old Facebook whatever whatever means you feel that suit you the most feel free to do so and I'll see you I'll see you hear from you whatever soon look forward to next week's episode we've got Mark Pack and Elaine Bagshaw coming coming down to the studio and we're going to do a wonderful panel discussion anyway look after yourself stay safe goodbye everybody's been there.